Sorry, I'm going to go a little bit old school. Uh, some of you know the movie uh, The Shawshank Redemption uh, came out for some of you like before your lifetimes. Uh, there is a character, in it, not a main character, but his name is uh, Brooks, uh, Brooks Halt, uh, Hatlin, and he was released from prison. He's up on the big screen, tasting freedom for the very first time in 50 years. And so in the movie, he's, he's uh, 72, 72 years old at this point, and he has spent most of his life behind bars. Now, the parole board, of course, wanted to help him succeed, uh, put him, place him in a halfway house uh, for his living and uh, get him a job uh, bagging groceries. But it turns out as he kind of adjusts to life outside of prison that he hates his job, he hates his boss, he's considering robbing the store and killing the boss in order that he would be able to go back to prison because that's all he knew. And so he writes to his friends who are still in jail about how hard it is to adjust to life in the outside world. That even though he's free, internally he's in prison, living in constant fear. And many of you know who've seen this movie, spoiler alert, that in a heartbreaking scene, he climbs up on a table, pulls out a knife, and then carves into the ceiling beam, Brooks was here as he proceeds to tie a rope around that beam and then hangs himself because he did not know what to do with his freedom. For those of us who follow Christ, you know that the Bible tells us Jesus has set us free. But like Brooks, many of us don't know what to do with our freedom. We're so used to being imprisoned by our sin, by our society's standards, by our selfishness, that we do not know how to deal with our freedom in Christ. And so like him, we endanger ourselves or other people. So let's talk about this morning, the issue of freedom. If you have a Bible, you want to turn in it to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're in this series called Clear, where we're learning in a world of confusion and conflict how to see life through the countercultural lens of the gospel and the good news about Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, he writes to this young, cool, urban, hip church in the city of Corinth, an urban church, to tell them, instead of being blinded by the values of this world, to see clearly through your identity in Christ, who you are as someone who's loved and forgiven and transformed by Jesus through the cross, in order for him to guide us and grow us in holiness and in unity together, to be distinct from the world. And then he shows them how to practically apply that to issues in their lives like sin and conflict and sex and relationships. And so today, Paul's going to continue talking about an issue we we first started talking about in chapter 8, about meat sacrifice to idols, which doesn't relate to us too much. But like many of the controversies that Christians continue to face today, this is an issue that was a kind of a hot topic. It's very similar in nature to what we face, about questions about How do you approach alcohol or certain kinds of music and movies or sexuality or alternative lifestyles? How do you resolve the tension of living faithfully to God and yet lovingly towards the culture around us? And so we're going to pick up, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful but not all things build up. 
Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And so here we have the theme of the entire passage. Paul returns to this controversy about meat, is meat sacrificed to idols okay to eat? And in verse 23, what's happening here is the Corinthian Christians, they have repeat this slogan over and over, this kind of a mantra of kind of like an axiom that they repeat. And we saw this in chapter 6, and their, their slogan is that all things are lawful. In some of your translations, all things are permissible. And the idea there is, well, we see ourselves as forgiven in Christ, and so we're free to do whatever we want. And the picture that you should have in your mind is of kind of like a defiant kid, you know, a little kid, like one of my children, maybe uh, age three, six, and nine, who come up to you and say, like, you know what? I'm all grown up now. I'm my own man. I can do whatever I want, just like Daniel Bill. And so uh, when children are like that, what they're really trying to say, express is, look at, because of my maturity, because of what I have, I am free to do whatever I want. And so when we look at a thought like that, Paul has taught us in previous chapters that that's based on a lie. That they have this belief that since I'm spiritually saved, what I do physically doesn't matter. So I can just satisfy all the cravings and desires of my body in this life, and it doesn't matter what happens to it. And Paul responds to that idea of that all things are lawful, but he says, but not all things are beneficial. But all things are lawful, but not all things build up. And so this is a callback to chapter 8, verse 1, when he tells the Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That there's this tendency in followers of Jesus, in Christians, in religious people, that when we wield a little bit of theological knowledge as a weapon to get what we want, then it puffs us up with pride about what we know, our knowledge, and our freedom, regardless of the condescension or consequences to others. And instead, Paul tells us that we're to be guided by genuine love that's caring and considerate towards other people that we might help build them up in their faith towards Jesus. So he says instead in verse 24 to instruct followers of Jesus, don't just seek your own freedoms, your own desires, your own good, but the good of your neighbor, the good of the people around us. And that is the theme of this passage. Because when we talk about this issue, you and I probably don't relate much to the issue of meat sacrifice to idols, but that's not really what this is just about. It's about what is the impact that I have spiritually of my choices on the people around me. And so we want to start off with an overarching principle. This isn't the big idea of the text, but the general principle is that our freedom in Christ must be tempered by the goodness of Christ for others. That we want to seek out what's spiritually beneficial for people, not just myself. And so kind of to review what we talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the first thing we want to ask ourselves is, if I make this choice, is it permissible? In other words, what does Scripture say? Because there's areas of the Bible that are clear. Don't murder, don't steal, don't have sex outside of the God-given covenant marriage between man and woman. Don't worship idols, don't worship your addictions. Those are wrong for everybody. And that includes like things like, is it legal? Because Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says to submit ourselves to the authority instituted by God unless it's in direct contradiction to His Word and His will. And so when young people kind of try to quote to me the Bible like, well, you know, Jesus drinks and everybody drinks, and like, yeah, how old are you? If you're under 21, that's illegal. And Jesus says that part of it being permissible or not is that His Word tells us that we must respect the law and the authority above us that God has instituted. Next, then we also ask, is it beneficial? 
Just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do something. So many of you know, like, whenever I have my kids, I'm not a cook. And so whenever Melissa is busy, like uh, this past Friday, I had Violet with me in the office because she was um, not feeling well. So she missed school that day. And, uh, and so for lunch, I take her out to McDonald's, right? Now, is it a sin to eat a Big Mac? No, it's not a sin. But if I eat it every day, then I'm going to become a Big Mac heart attack. So it's not beneficial, right? So as we're moving through Paul's text, if it's Bible doesn't condemn it, if it's not harmful or detrimental to myself, that doesn't necessarily mean I should still do it. So the third question is, how does it affect other people? Not because I'm concerned about my image or performance as a Christian in front of other people, but because of the love of Christ, the concern of Christ, the goodness of Christ for your family members, for your coworkers, for your neighbors, for strangers, for people around me. Does that mean that I'm just supposed to avoid anything that other people might find spiritually controversial or offensive? I think you might be surprised what the Bible has to say. Verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Let's stop right there. So um, if you haven't been tracking with us, why is this an issue for them? Why is this a hot topic? Uh, I want you to picture back then in uh, the, the society of Corinth, uh, meat was rare for the average person to partake in. And so what, would, what was common practice is what all this meat is being brought to all these pagan temples, being sacrificed to idols. And so what was really common for the Corinthian people was that they would go and eat at these pagan temples. Um, they had these courtyards set up that were like a restaurant where you could go and uh, once they, they did the sacrifices, you could come in and eat, pay a small fee and, and eat pretty good quality meat. And so uh, what happens is the meat would be burnt as an offering, giving thanks to false gods. Then some of it would be eaten, not only given to the gods, but some of it is eaten right there. And then some would be sold later in the marketplace. And what Paul tells us in verse 25 and 26 is when the meat makes its way to the grocery store, feel free to buy it and you even eat it. But hold on, Paul, you're contradicting yourself a little bit because way back in chapter 8, you told us that we should avoid eating meat sacrificed to idols. So what we, if you remember last time what we learned in chapter 10, verse 20, so I preached on the passage right before this, Paul tells us that meat is not the problem. The worship of demons is. And so that's why he told them you cannot participate in the ritual offerings at the pagan temple and eat that meat there. But in the aftermarket, when you're not participating in some demonic worship ritual, you're free to eat it because he quotes Psalm 24, verse 1, citing some biblical reference that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The, the fullness thereof means everything that's in it, including all the animals that meat comes from, including all the meat that even is being sacrificed at the temple, that it's all from God. It all belongs to God. And in fact, in verse 27, he kind of paints a picture. Let's say that your non-Christian friend invites you over for a barbecue. You want to go? You're free to go. And you don't have to worry or research, is this free-range, organic, or is it pagan temple, demonic? You can freely eat it without any question of conscience. Because the point here is that we have tremendous freedom in Christ to enjoy all the things that belong to God. 
quoting Psalm 24.1. And so there's this picture here that I want you to get. And I want you to track with me now because some of you will be just kind of absorb it and it'll just go right over your head. Some of you will kind of put a big question mark over your head, but think through this. That as you and I interact with the culture around us, food, money, music, social media, hear me out. There is no such thing as sacred versus secular. Now, what I mean is that some of us were raised in churches where we were told that, well, these things are Christian things, and these things are not Christian things. No, everything on earth belongs to the Lord. Jesus rules over all of it. That means that all music styles, food, cultures, uh, lifestyles, tribes, teams, they're all under Him. Now, listen to me carefully before you disagree. That doesn't mean that all of them are obedient or godly or good. But it does mean that we can live in this world in ways that can redeem that thing. Now, the corollary here is that there are some things that are not the Lord's, that don't belong to God. Sin, including the abuse and misuse of good things like food and drink and sex outside the boundaries that He has defined for us in His Word. It also means not taking the good things in this world and elevating it in importance and preference above God, because we call that what? An idol. So, music, food, sex, alcohol, friendships can all be appreciated by God's people within His Word, His will, His ways that honor Him. Because the problem for many of us when it comes to, when He says to do it without question of conscience, is that some of us have overactive consciences, right? And so you get sensitive about every little thing, and you want to be a Pharisee and have all these little rules to define how you live your life. And some of us have underactive consciences, but all of us need biblically informed consciences so that we can experience more truth, more freedom, more flexibility, more grace in how we interact with the world around us. So as you consider in controversial, controversial areas of life, should I eat this? Should I drink that? Should I listen to that, this band? Should I go to that movie? Should I participate in this activity? Should I hang out with this crowd? Ask yourselves, does the Bible say it's permissible? Would Jesus say it's beneficial? Is it loving and kind? And if so, then there's tremendous freedom to enjoy all things because they all belong to God. Okay, cool. So it sounds like we're kind of back to square one, that you're you know, just eat and do whatever you want as long as it's in Christ and it's not sin. Verse 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I don't mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be, de be determined by someone else's conscience? Actually, that's for the next passage. Let's stop right there for a minute. Um, oh, and uh, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Sorry, didn't want to skip that part. So in verse 28, Paul tells us there is an exception that going back to the same hypothetical situation, if you're eating at your non-Christian buddy's house and he brings up, oh, by the way, uh, this steak was offered up to an idol. Are you cool with that? And then Paul says, then you refrain from it. Why? I thought you just spent this whole section telling us it's not a sin, that everything on the earth belongs to God. Look at verse 29. He says, for their sake and their conscience, not yours. So when I read something like that, 
I want us to be clear. It's not meant by Paul to be some kind of religious guilt trip or some kind of double standard. Oh, you can do this, but just not in front of these people. Look at in verse 29 and 30, Paul says that your freedom in Christ is not determined by someone else's conscience, by their internal moral compass, their internal set of standards and values. That as a Christian, your freedom in Christ includes we can give thanks to God for something good and enjoy any good thing that He gives to us. So what is he talking about here? You remember in chapter 8, we talked about Paul instructing believers to refrain from meat sacrifice to idols for the sake of another Christian if their conscience is vulnerable and violated in that area. Now, here's where I want you to catch. This is the key to this part of the passage. This passage isn't about someone who's already a believer, but your non-Christian friend. And so the question you should be asking yourself is, how does that affect their conscience? Isn't that their own idol? I'm pretty sure they're fine with that. So here's the picture. Your buddy sees you knowingly partaking in meat sacrifice to honor their idol and then comes to the conclusion, I guess it's fine for people to worship both your Christian God and mine. And the effect on their conscience is that it prevents them from knowing Jesus and His righteousness as the solution to our sinfulness. That by dying for our sin and rising as our Savior, He's not just one of many gods, but He is the only way, the only truth, the only life to come to God the Father forever. And so what we're seeing here in this passage is a gospel issue. That when we either point people towards Jesus or point people away from Jesus, it's affecting their conscience, their internal set of standards and values because it affects their ability to believe and receive Jesus, His righteousness, His forgiveness, His salvation. And so the point here is that there are times that we want to refrain from our freedom as a good testimony to people who do not yet love Jesus, serve Jesus, worship Jesus, and follow Jesus. So what does that look like? Your buddies are gathering together, I mean, for their Super Bowl party this afternoon, and they invite you over for drinks. Do you have to go? No. You have freedom not to go. Are you free to go? Yes. Should you go? Depends. It depends on whether or not it's beneficial for you, and it depends on how will you act in that situation. So, for example, if you're an addict, or if you are what Ephesians 5.18 describes, someone who tends to get sloppy and drunk and lose control instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit and self-control, then that's probably not the best witness, and you should probably refrain from your freedom to go. But if that's not an issue for me, and your friends get really drunk while they're watching the game, especially since the Niners aren't in it today, and they really want me to drink too, just have just one or two Josh, that, that, that wouldn't be a big deal, right? Then I would probably still re- refrain from the alcohol. Now, here's why. Not to be a prude, not because it's wrong to have a drink, but I will be a good friend and a good neighbor to show you the love of Christ and also refrain from sin and the idolatry of alcoholism and tell you why, to show you the truth of Christ. You see, here's how it works oftentimes when we're facing issues that are a little bit in the gray areas or that maybe not even gray. The Bible is clear, but people have different thoughts about it. And the temptation for Christians is to become, uh, to fall into one of two camps, to become spiritual legalists or spiritually liberal. And what I mean by that, not in a political sense, but neither of those two extreme camps, uh, you never see many people get saved through either of those positions. Let me put it to you this way. 
So the spiritual legalist says, well, I'm not going to go to the bar. I'm not going to hang out with people who are not Christians because I don't want anything to do with, with uh, gay people, drunk people, lost people uh, who are doing sinful things that God wouldn't approve of. So I stand up here with my avoidance and judgment, and I'm never present to show people the love of God. The spiritually liberal person well, I'm going to go to the club with my friends, but I'm not going to say anything about sin or about Jesus because it offends people. And so, uh, you want to get high? Sure. You want to get drunk? Sure. You want to have all kinds of sexual perversity? Sure. And I never tell people the truth of God. And you see that without the love of God or the truth of God, neither paints a good picture of Jesus. So, in addition to asking ourselves if a choice is permissible and beneficial and loving, we want to ask, how am I being a good testimony about Jesus? Okay, but it still kind of sounds like arbitrary restrictions and rules instead of freedom. What Paul's going to propose to us, and this is where the big idea of this whole passage comes in, is what if it's not about what I can or cannot do, but for whom I'm doing it? Verse 31, so, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I, Paul, try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be, they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So in verse 31, Jesus is not standing there handing out a revised version of the Old Testament law with a list of do's and don'ts. Instead, he's shifting our goal. Instead of the goal being getting what I want through my freedom to focusing on God, the God who loves us, who sacrifices for us, who saves us, who fulfills us. Is God so good and glorious that having Jesus is better than all the treasures and pleasures, all the rights, privileges, and freedoms of this world? And as we shift our eyes in that direction, that changes the lens for how we look at our decisions and our actions and our enjoyment by saying, however I act, however I think, however I talk, whatever I eat or drink or do, wherever I go, my aim is to honor and glorify God. And so what we see in verse 32 onwards is Paul instructs the Corinthians by both his word and his example, here's the way you do that. Be like Jesus. Be caring and considerate. Be serving and sacrificial to religious Jews, to rebellious Gentiles, to redeemed brothers or sisters in Christ, because the goal here is not to pursue my own gain, but theirs, spiritually, relationally, eternally with Jesus. And so that changes how we look at our freedom. Suddenly, it's not just about me or my, whether I receive my gratification or my deprivation. It's all about Jesus. So I want to do everything I can to be like Jesus, to introduce them to Jesus so that they meet and follow Jesus. That's my main priority now. And so the big idea of this whole passage is when we look at all these different areas, when you're kind of questions of conscience or when people say, is that okay for, for me as a Christian? And I get those kind of text calls and emails all the time, is to 
think instead of different terms of, it's not about my gratification or my deprivation, but our goal is to glorify God with our freedom in Christ by choosing what's spiritually good for others. When there's uncertainty and controversy, we ask ourselves, it's not about what I can or can't do, but for whom am I doing this? Christian living and Christian decisions aren't a checklist about how much legalism is required or how much liberty is permitted, but how much of the truth of Christ and the love of Christ is practiced for the glory of God and the good of other people. So I have a dumb example because, you know, I'm trying to think about what kind of controversial things, like controversies that, you know, you may not face uh, addiction issues like me and some of a handful of people in our church but uh, let's say that what my controversy for you this morning is, um, uh, many of you know <laughs> that uh, I was born, well, it doesn't matter when I was born, but from my childhood, that uh, one of the big things that, that kind of came up in my childhood was uh, the Transformers uh, cartoon and, and, and uh, action figures. And I've been collecting those since I was a kid. I love them with all my heart. <laughs> but I love my wife more and my kids. But, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, uh, Everyone used to do it in my age group, and then you hit middle school, all the boys start getting interested in girls, start spending their time, attention, and money on, those, on girls, and I just kind of kept going with the Transformers. And so I have this huge collection, right? And so there's, here's the controversial issue for me. You know, as a Christian, is it okay to have stuff? Is, it, is that being too materialistic? Is it going to become an idol in my life? And so when we talk about freedom in Christ in areas that may be controversial, that, that uh, skirt the border of, is it sinful? is on the one hand, I have great freedom in Christ to enjoy good things because it all belongs to God. And so, and, and the question is, am I glorifying God in my freedom? And so, uh, many of you know, I'm so, some of you have heard of me already talk about this. I'm so nerdy, I'll spend a lot of time like on, in online, <laughs> online transformer forums like chatting with other nerds like me, right? And so we go back and forth, talk about transformers. And in the midst of that, it's not just small talk about like, you know, how cool this transformer is and this, that, and the other. But people get an opportunity. I get an opportunity to get to know people. They get an opportunity to get to know me. I, they find out that I'm a pastor. I start saying things like, I want to pray for you. What, there, what's going on in your life? And uh, in fact, uh, a few years ago, Melissa and I, before we had kids, uh, drove all the way up to Oregon and, uh, for one of our anniversaries. And it wasn't because we particularly wanted to go to Oregon, but because I had a friend from Transformer Online community who wasn't a Christian, and he said, we're going to come visit you. We happen to be <laughs> celebrating our anniversary up there, which was, I should, I'm spending the truth a little bit, but the reason why we went was to go visit them. Brought you a Bible. And so there's great freedom to enjoy good things as we ask ourselves, how am I using it to glorify God? Now, on the other hand, uh, some of you know uh, who've been to my house, I have a huge Transformers collection. So for the sake of my heart, there are times that I, like some of my non-Christian friends have said, like, well, is that okay? Because it's like, that's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, it's a lot. <laughs> My wife would tell you. How do you prevent it from being idle in your heart? And then suddenly, I'm conscious of maybe there are times I need to refrain from my freedoms for the sake of somebody who maybe isn't close to Jesus yet, doesn't know Jesus yet. And so one of the things I, I'm very honest about with, or that God has taught me to do with my non-Christian friends is to communicate to them, you know, every couple of years, I do this weird purge. Like I just decide, you know what, I'm gonna take about half, try to aim for about a third to a half of my collection and just sell it off completely. 
And it's not for me to make money uh, because, like, you know, then they talk about, we get into this, all this Transformer nerd talk about uh, how much can you get for this one, and, oh, this one's really valuable, this one's very rare. But I tell them, you know, I sell them off half of them, and, the, and what I do with it isn't, it isn't to earn money. So I'll take all that money, and it all goes to, to missions, Christian missions. It doesn't go to, go to me. Glorify God. And secondly, uh, to be able to say to my non-Christian friend, it's really important to me to know, uh, be able to, to look in the mirror and say that Jesus is my highest priority. I worship him above all these things. And that this thing, as much as fun as it is, as much as I love it, as much as I've had so many great friendships from it, that it doesn't rule in my heart over Jesus. So refraining from your freedom to the glory of God and join your freedom to the glory of God. And so we need to be clear about our freedom in Christ. I know that was a really lame example. But I want you to understand that you're free to enjoy God's rich blessings with a thankful heart as we glorify God. And we're also free to refrain from those blessings for the sake of other people. Because that blessing and that freedom are not my highest preferences or priorities or pleasures or treasures in life, Jesus is, so I want to glorify Him. So when you get stuck and you're not sure, how do you do that? Paul reminds us, see, I know I just read from the beginning of chapter 11, it's unfortunate the way that the English Bible has it cut, because actually verse 1 is part of this chapter. Paul tells us, you see how I imitate Jesus? Do that. Jesus hung out with men who drank, but He never got drunk. He hung out with women who were sexually out of control, but he never took advantage of them. Jesus worked a job as a carpenter, but he was never greedy or ripped off other people. Jesus is the God who involved himself in the culture. For those of you who are Bible nerds, this is what we call the theology of incarnation, that he became fully man and he was fully present in the culture. He celebrated the holidays. He ate the food. He drank the wine. He went to the parties. He had friends. He loved people, but he didn't sin. He didn't lie. He didn't avoid the truth, and he didn't compromise on the truth. And so we want to be like him. Be present with people. Be up to speed on the culture without violating Scripture, without participating in sin, so that as many people as possible would meet and fall in love with Jesus to the glory of God. That's what freedom looks like. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, uh, there's so many issues in our day and age that have question marks around them about is this permissible? Am I supposed to, can I practice it with freedom or do I have to uh, practice restraint? And I know this cultural issue of meat sacrifice to idols is so far removed from us in history, but it was their hot button issue of their day. It was the issue of accepting gay marriage, or is it okay to drink alcohol, or is it okay to watch these movies, or do this and that, the other. And we thank you, God, that you give us a clear picture of how to enjoy our freedom in Christ, and how to be free to refrain from those freedoms, because we're free from them enslaving us or imprisoning us. And this morning, we remember once again that Jesus has set us free. Yet many of us do not know what to do with our freedom. We're so used to being imprisoned by our sin and social standards and selfishness that we do not know how to deal with freedom in Christ and we endanger ourselves and other people. So this morning we ask that you would hold up a mirror for us and help us to look at what are the choices that I'm making. 
Am I aligning true? Am I holding to your will and your word and your ways? Is it permissible? Is it beneficial to the direction of my life? Is it being loving? And especially, is it pointing to Jesus? And may we remember once again, in all that we do, whether we eat or drink, or whether we are talking to people or hanging out with people or participating in this activity or that activity or choosing not to, that we do it all for the glory of Jesus, that many might be saved. And so would you deal with us in this quiet moment as we sing this next song to just reflect and call upon the name of Jesus to show us areas of our lives, areas where we are wrestling with whether we are free or not. Give us a different lens. Help us to bring it before the cross. Give it to you so that you might teach us how to bring glory to you and good to others. In Jesus' name.